Welcome to our worship service remote for First United Methodist Church of West Pittston and for Plains United Methodist Church of Plains, Pennsylvania. Our scripture readings for this morning will be Galatians 6, 1 through 10, and Luke 4, 14 through 30. I give those to you in case you want to look them up ahead of time. I am Reverend Tenny Rupnick, and my email address is tenhutrup at gmail.com. That's T-E-N-H-U-T-R-U-P at gmail.com. Please send me any prayer requests you have and let me know if they are private in nature or if they're okay to share on the next week's podcast so that your church family may be praying for you. Our prayer requests for our charge this week are for Clyde Dukes, for Beverly Copeland, for Rebecca, who is fighting cancer, for Sue and Ty Williams, for all our healthcare workers and first responders, for our governmental and civic leaders. And one quick announcement. Firstly, as many of you know, but some of you may not, church services are continuing to meet in person for the time being. Though this is subject to change if there is an upsurge of the pandemic in our area, please be in prayer for the leadership of your church. But as for now, we are so happy to be gathering back into our church buildings once again. If you haven't worshipped with us before or if you have fallen off from church attendance, we'd love to see you there. The eighth Sunday after Pentecost, July 26th, 2020. Our first hymn this morning is number 328 in the hymnal. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in your place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in your place. Our gathering meditation for this morning is taken from Psalm 119, verses 129 through 130. Your decrees are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. Our call to worship this morning. God's word tells us of the mustard seed. It is a small seed, but it will grow. When the seed is grown, it is changed, larger, better. It grows into something incredible and useful. God's love begins in small ways to enter into our hearts. Lord, plant those amazing seeds of love in us. Grow us into something changed, useful, better. Grow us into your faithful servants. 
Amen. Our Prayer of Invocation Holy Lord, one true God, we welcome your love, long for your presence, and hope for your grace. On this day and every day, we ask you to draw us closer to you. Amen. Our next hymn this morning is Amazing Grace and Oldie But Goodie, 378 in the hymnal. I'll sing verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Let's join together now in our confession of faith as we recite the Apostles' Creed. Let us say what we believe and believe what we say. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. And now for our children's message. Our scripture for this morning is taken from a book in the Bible that's called Luke. I won't read the whole thing for you today, the whole story, but I want to tell you what the story is about. In this Bible story, 
Jesus is beginning to become an important teacher. He is starting to travel around and to talk to people about God. People believe what Jesus says and they listen to his words. And in this story, Jesus is asked to come back to his own hometown and to talk to all the people there to tell the people he knows the best, all the things he's starting to teach to others. That must have felt strange to Jesus, to go back to his town and to try and to teach all the people who taught him when he was a boy, to preach to all those who cared for him when he was growing up. That'd be like you growing up and being asked to come back to your old school or your church and to teach. If this happened to you, you'd be trying to teach all those people who taught you, your pastor and parents, your coaches and teachers. Yeah, it must have seemed weird, but Jesus went. He went to his hometown and preached. And at first, the people he grew up around, as they were listening to him, they were happy and impressed with what he said. Oh, they said, Jesus is a good teacher. He is a man of God. But then Jesus said some things they didn't want to hear. Jesus said some things that made them mad, and the people became very unhappy, very, very angry, in fact. They were so mad that they chased Jesus clear out of town for the things he said. Listen to this. The people were so mad at him, they wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. Thankfully, Jesus wasn't hurt and got away from them okay. Jesus looked to God for help, and God helped Jesus to just walk past them and to get away. Now, doesn't that seem weird that the people would get so mad at something Jesus said that they'd want to hurt him, even though they knew him so well and even loved him? Well, how about us? Think about yourself, and I'll think about myself. Think about how we act sometimes when someone we like or love says something to us that hurts us. Don't we sometimes want to say mean things back? To maybe even hit them? Don't we sometimes want to hurt them back in some way? Yeah, sometimes we do want to do that. And sometimes we say the mean thing, or we'll even throw something at them, or we might even hit. It's pretty normal, and it happens to all of us. But let's try to remember that while it is normal, this is not how God wants us to act. Remember, Jesus is our example of how we should act. That means we should look at the things that he does and want to do things in the same way. And when those people chased Jesus out of town and tried to hurt him, he did not try to hurt them back. He did not hit. He did not throw anything. He did not even say mean words. Instead, Jesus walked away. Instead of choosing the wrong thing and choosing to hurt others in return, Jesus chose the right thing. And with the help of God, Jesus simply walked away. Let's pray. Lord God, when others do things that hurt us, help us to do the right thing and not hurt back. Help us to walk away. Amen. Please join with me in our prayer for illumination. God of small deeds and mighty plans, 
You take our meager lives and with your love cause them to produce acts of loving kindness for you in this world. You hear our cries and find us when we are lost and wandering in fear. You bring us home with you so that we may be made whole, rejoicing in your goodness. Help us to joyfully serve you all our days, knowing that you are always watching over us. Prepare our hearts to receive your word and our spirits to respond in eagerness to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first reading is a New Testament reading from Galatians 6, 1 through 10. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Our gospel reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 4, 14 through 30. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard, have heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow 
at Zarephath and Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The title of our message for this morning is When It Pinches. This passage from the fourth chapter of Luke is quite a long one, 17 hefty verses describing Jesus' first footsteps out into his public ministry. And unlike many other biblical stories, it keeps us at a slow pace, skipping very few details, forcing us to almost experience the event like the crowd did. And because of this, it is a narrative that almost seems to happen in real time. It is as if we are right there with Jesus as he goes into the synagogue at Nazareth on the Sabbath day, as he stands up to read, and as he unrolls the scroll which has been handed to him. We hear the passages from Isaiah being read now and over this podcast, just as the folks from his hometown heard them read in their synagogue some 2,000 years ago. We pay close attention as they did, while he then rolls up the scroll and sits back down. We wait expectantly, our eyes fixed upon him as surely as their eyes must have been as he sits and looks back at them, not speaking immediately. And then he, we hear his words as he begins to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled and you're hearing. How exciting this all must have been for them, these folks from his hometown of Nazareth, to have heard of the growing fame of one of their own, and then to have had the opportunity to welcome him back into their midst. Maybe it was something like an, an America's Got Talent winner returning to his home after having competed and done well, possibly a bit like an Olympic medal winner arriving back in her hometown after the end of the Games. Likely a little like any highly successful home-grown own, returning to the place of his or her beginnings, to the people who knew him best and saw her raised, to the people who felt like they had some personal participation in their upbringing and thus had some real joy in their success. For these people of the narrative, for the townspeople who knew Joseph and Mary and their family, it must have been particularly thrilling indeed to have Jesus return to them and to see that he was doing so well. Yeah, it must have been thrilling and fulfilling initially because after he stands and reads and then sits and proclaims that the word is being fulfilled in their hearing, well, initially they approve of him. They are delighted with him, really. His hometown folks, the scripture tells us, speak well of him and are amazed at the graciousness of his words And you can hear the pride and the ownership in their voices as they ask one another, is this not Joseph's son? As they imply, just look at what one of our own has become. But then, but then something changes. But then the tide is turned. For the amazement and delight and the good words of these good folks, they cease altogether. 
and the intensity of the rage and hatred and murderous intent rushes in, and we are left wondering what in the world had just happened. Wondering at this complete turnaround in the action, wondering at the erratic nature of the people who claimed to love him and who had just been calling him one of their own. Now, unlike some other scriptural texts we can sometimes come across, this passage's meaning is actually less of a puzzle, a bit more obvious, if you will, and I can quickly and easily explain what happened. In fact, I can sum up, I can sum up how the people of Nazareth went from celebrating Jesus to trying to throw him from a cliff in three short words. Yep, in three short words, I can sum up their change of heart. You see, they'd been pinched. Yeah, pinched. They went from satisfaction to squalling because they had been unexpectedly pinched. Like an infant resting contentedly in your arms would do, if you gathered up a bit of their soft skin between thumb and forefinger and gave them a powerful squeeze. Now picture it. The people of Nazareth had gathered together in their religious home. They had come to be together in the synagogue they knew and loved so well. They were surrounded by all the people with whom they worked, sang, celebrated, and wept the people they trusted the most and understood the best, and they were delighted to settle in and to listen to one of their own sons, a boy who became a man in the midst of them and had only just started to come into his own as a man of the faith, had only just begun to gather a following as a religious teacher. And this boy, they know so well and love so dearly, well, he stands up, reads from the prophets, sits down again, and really proceeds to tell them all off. This boy of Mary and Joseph, this boy as the older ones still see him, the one they helped to raise in the faith, comes in and tells them that God isn't just for Israel. He tells them that God isn't only concerned with God's devoted followers, but that God's love and salvation and attention and power is for others as well. He tells them, in essence, that while God loves them, they are nothing special and that their understanding of God's goodness and grace is too limited and far too small. And he tells them that God will move where God will and that there is nothing they can do to change that. No amount of dedication, no amount of scriptural memorization, no amount of ritual cleansing or synagogue attendance or ancient Jewish bloodline would limit God's love to them alone or work to direct God's grace to cover exclusively their faults and failings. He tells these Jewish forefathers and foremothers that their Jewishness is not a guarantee that God will favor them or save them or rush in to do their bidding. He pinches them, do you see? He gives them a burst of pain. And that pain quickly morphs into anxiety and anger, into fear and fury. And their entire opinion of Jesus is reversed. And their entire acceptance of him is withdrawn. And they move violently in their shared desire to do away with him, to shut his mouth and to silence his teachings forever. They move to wipe out this aberration. They move to end this Jewish son who makes no sense. This Jewish teacher who teaches that God loves the non-Jew? This Jewish man who, in their eyes, has no loyalty to the Judaism in which he had been raised? 
And we may be left wondering once again at these usually unpredictable and oftentimes altogether vicious ancient peoples as we try to understand how they could go from loving and approving and accepting Jesus to trying to kill him in a few short moments. We may be left wondering once again at these impulsive and brutal ancient peoples as we try to process how it is that they suddenly mob together and try and throw Jesus from a cliff. We may marvel at them and think, what is wrong with these people? Are they totally uncivilized? Are they completely malicious in nature? Are they utterly insane? We wonder at their turnaround and shudder at their violence. And we actually catch ourselves hoping they might be one of these things, that they might in fact be uncivilized, malicious or insane, because we want them to be different than we are, because we want them to be unlike us and to have nothing whatsoever in common with us. And so it's easier to see them as ancient, as other, as barbarians, as lawless, as impossible to understand. It's easier and far more comfortable to label them in all these ways, to set them apart, to keep them different. But if we're honest, we might admit that we most often do act much like they did act when it pinches. After all, what do we tend to do when we are challenged by the word of God in uncomfortable and unpredictable ways? What might happen if I were to come in front of you this morning and tell you all off? Or better yet, if one of the kids whom you love, one of the children who grew up in your church, grew up to be adults, went into ministry and came back just to tell you, like Jesus told the people of his hometown, that all your religion was self-serving, that your God was too small, and your vision was blinded at best. The question is, What is it that most of us do when we get pinched? Most specifically, how do we respond when we get pinched by our very own prophets, by our very own scriptures, and by our own beloved faith? Now, most of you wouldn't, I hope, after being pinched, immediately turn on me or the child brought up in your congregation if we made some unpopular claim. I mean, I can hardly see the lovely people of our congregations of Plains or First UMC forming a violent mob and searching for the nearest cliff from which to toss us. The very thought of you all trying that is a silly one at best. But if we slow down and if we reflect honestly, we might admit that we recognize ourselves in all of this to some extent, that we recognize some of our own fear and frustration Fear and frustration that can be found in those angry people from so long ago. These are dramatic details, to be sure. But as with all scripture, we're called to take a look at it, to take a good look at it, and to ask ourselves how this scripture in front of us speaks to our circumstances in life. What it's saying about our sinful attitudes and shortcomings. What important point it is trying to get through our thick skulls about our knee-jerk reactions, our troublesome pride our attitudes towards others? In short, how is this scripture speaking to our Christian discipleship and our spiritual life? In essence, the scripture in part is begging all of us to honestly ask ourselves this. What do I do? How do I react when I get pinched? 
What do I do? How do I react when I get pinched? Take a moment to look internally now and allow these next questions to filter in. Ask yourselves honestly, how do I treat those who have the nerve to pinch me? What do I do when someone calls me out on some bad behavior or some selfish thinking? How is it that I respond when someone I know and love and respect calls me to task about my failings, challenges my pride, disagrees with my politics? How do I react to those who see the world differently than I do? And how do I respond to Holy Scripture or Bible teachings which gather up a tender bit of the flesh of my living and apply some serious pressure? It's true we may not feel led to physically tossing someone from a literal cliff, though if we're completely honest, we might admit to wishing we could at times. But how do we toss ideas teachings, challenges, expectations, and others' dignity over the edge when we get uncomfortable, when we feel pinched. Now let me tell you something that I believe with all my heart and soul and spirit, one thing I hope you'll remember from my time with you long after I'm gone, probably the most important thing that I will have to say to you ever, and it is this. Our Christianity is not supposed to be comfortable. Our discipleship to Christ is not supposed to be comfortable. Our Christianity is supposed to pinch and pinch hard at times. In fact, it's actually a pretty good sign that we are not living the way Christ would have us to live if people around us agree with us too often, approve of us too much or climb aboard our wagon train every time we circle the bend. Discipleship to Christ calls us to walk, to suffer, and to die. And yes, then to be raised again as he was raised, but it calls us to walk and to suffer and to die as he did for the kingdom of God. We are not called to be a part of the status quo or to fit in with the norm. And that includes the status quo of our believing neighbors and the norms of our Christian society. Hear me now, we should not have too much in common, even with those of our own religion. Think of how Jesus criticized the religion of his day. Jesus had very little that was good to say about organized religion and everything wonderful to say about our personal relationships with God, our relationships with one another, and about the living out of our faith. So getting back to it. Our Christianity, our discipleship to Christ, and our faith is supposed to pinch us at times and to pinch hard. And perhaps we can heed the scripture. Maybe we can look back at the scripture when it happens and try not to be like the Jewish hometown people of Nazareth. We need to do our best to be humble rather than to get angry. We need to do our best to rise to the challenge rather than to shut down. We need to try our hardest to encourage the prophets of our own time, to encourage them to speak freely rather than to do our best to shut them up. We are, in fact, called to react in a way that is penitent rather than violent. We are commanded to set aside the pride and the self-preservation we always carry within us and to instead 
look frankly within ourselves to see if there is something we can change for the better. Some new way of being we can embrace in order to be more like Christ, in order to be more loving, more inclusive, more open-hearted, and more accepting. In short, we need to be willing to suffer through and to learn from the discomfort and pain of each and every pinch. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our next hymn for this morning is number 474 in the hymnal, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. I'll be reading it. Please listen to the lyrics. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past and gone, at the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. At this point in our podcast, we remember our call to support our churches with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Please remember that even though this podcast may make it easier sometimes when you cannot be at church, please remember, though, that your church family still needs you in person. They need your smiles, your presence, your gifts. Church attendance should never be about what we get out of it. Rather, it should always be about what we are meant to give to others. As God gave generously to us, so we give back unto our God. And so I say now, as I say every week, just as our almighty God gave entirely of God's self for our sakes, we are likewise called to give of ourselves for the sake of others. Let us pray. Holy Lord, you search the recesses of our minds and the depths of our hearts. You call us to be not only givers, but also receivers of your gift of grace. We believe that you will multiply our gifts and will draw us nearer to your side. And when we offer our financial gifts, we are grateful to be joined to the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God above, ye heavenly host. Praise Creator Christ and Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, as we have so gathered, not together in body physically, but still together as the body of Christ, let us bend the knees of our hearts and bow our heads before our Creator, Sustainer, and Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, hear our prayer. O Lord, hear our prayer. When we call and serve O Lord, hear our prayer, O Lord, hear our prayer, come and listen to us. Merciful God, full of grace, 
Hear our prayers of confession and our prayers of need in these next few moments of silence. God of surprising love, bind us together in unity and in peace that we might be one body undivided in Christ and that we might be one body undivided in ministry to the world. Strengthen us with your power that we might fulfill your call in our lives. You place much hope and trust in us. Please help us not to fail you. Speak to us always, God of truth, so that our lives and our ministry might tell of your glory and display your handiwork. You know, Almighty One, when we have failed to hear your word or to live your love, forgive us. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to obedience. You know, merciful God, when we have harmed the community with our strife and disagreements, forgive us. Guide us into unity and selflessness that our church might be a true body of Christ, that we, its members, might be faithful disciples of your Son. We bring before you this day persons and situations which need your healing love. Diligent Lord, who watches over us at all times, be with us all these days. We confess that we have allowed a host of worries and frustrations to crowd out your word for us. As you give us peace and your transforming love, also forgive all those times when we have been less than faithful disciples. Gently visit us again with your healing powers. Restore our hope and courage and joy for all the times ahead. Anoint us now with your mysterious presence and send us forth in effectiveness as the hands and the feet of your kingdom. It is in Christ's name we offer this prayer and continue to pray as he taught us to, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn this morning is number 671 in the hymnal, Lord, Dismiss Us with Thy Blessing. Lord, dismiss us with Thy blessing. Fill our hearts with joy and peace. Let us each Thy love possessing triumph in redeeming grace. Oh, refresh us, oh, refresh us, traveling through this wilderness. Thanks we give and adoration for thy gospel's joyful sound. May the fruits of thy salvation in our hearts and lives abound. Ever faithful, ever faithful, to the truth may we be found. Before we take our leave now of one another and and exit this podcast on our phone or computer, may we recite the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer together. 
I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we are called in one body. And may we be thankful as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Shalom to you now, shalom my friends. May God's full mercies bless you, my friends. In all your living and through your loving, Christ be your shalom. Christ be your shalom.